book of Acts, chapter 27, beginning with verse 1. The translator heading reads, Paul sails for Rome. Paul sails for Rome. And let me just put a disclaimer on the front of this sermon. Everything we are about to read next is based on a true story. All the names, the characters, the incidents portrayed in these final two chapters of Acts are historical, factual, not disputed by anyone. The identification of each individual is intentional. The location and places are absolutely verifiable. A shipwreck. 2,000 years ago in in the Mediterranean Sea, on a Roman vessel, we know where it happened, off the coast of Malta, Actually, have they believe found the anchors we're going to read about here. The dramatic conclusion to what is arguably the most dramatic book in the New Testament. And I'm so grateful for this book and I'm so glad we are reading it together. If you would look with me, beginning with chapter 27, verse 1, I'm going to read deep into chapter 28. Most important words I say today, most of the words I say today, right here before us, just sit right back and you'll hear a tale. (laughs) Verse 1. Verse 1. Luke, the author, writes, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Verse 2. And embarking in a ship of Adriamidum, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Verse 4. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salamone, coasting along it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Verse 9, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest to spend the winter there. Verse 13. 
Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me (laughs) and not have set sail for Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that I will be exactly what I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Verse 27, when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. Verse 33, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Verse 39. Now when it was day... They didn't recognize the land. 
But they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel ground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land and the rest on planks or pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Chapter 28. After we were brought safely through, We then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened to his hand. When the the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he's escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, Paul, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the islands named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also greatly honored us greatly and when we were about to set sail they put on board whatever we needed after three months we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead putting in at Syracuse we stayed there for three days and from where, from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Petioli. <laughs> Fourteen. There we found brothers, and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Apius and three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when he had come into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. We're nearing the end. These are the very words of God. Would you pray with me for understanding? Father, sometimes we read your book 
and the truths just pop out. And we delight in the principles and propositions and the clear instructions that have obvious application to our lives today and now. Other times, just as we consider our lives, we read about the lives of your people and are left wondering why. So would you be kind again today and meet us? Send your spirit that our hearts would change, our faith would grow, strengthen our souls. Father, send your spirit that your words would arrest our attention. This wouldn't just be another casual reading of a book, but instead an encounter with the living God. How we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's been said, there's nothing like a shipwreck. (laughs) There's nothing like a shipwreck to spark the imagination, right? Spark the imagination of everyone. But the quote doesn't end there. It says, who was not on that specific ship? (laughs) Who was not on that specific ship? What a tale, right? What a tale. What an ending to this book. What what does it mean? Next week we're going to see just an uncomfortable, like, drop of the story and the narrative right there but but at the moment what is also there are there are so many details are there not there's so many details fascinating details that we could consider this morning oh i want to run a course on this we could throw up a map right and and, and trace this voyage we could do that we could throw up a map and trace this voyage r- right around the, the mediterranean sea we could stop and and study and learn and try to get ourselves versed with the the technical nautical terminology and and ter- and language we we could in most of it we're missing we could we could consider the ins and outs of the roman trade and transportation and what all these ships were doing in the first place crossing the mediterranean sea in the worst time of the year what about all these names and figures? Oh, it's sad. What about, what about all these names and figures? I think it's safe to assume that, that some of these individuals, if not all of them, used by name, were the very ones who, known by the very ones who first received this book. They would have read those names. Oh, I know him. Oh, we could, we could, <laughs> we could entertain some very interesting theological concepts. <laughs> like, how did Paul know this trip was going to be so dangerous in the first place, right? Apparently, the rest of them, the majority of 276 people disagreed with Paul. This was a huge ship. I didn't know that Paul was, you know, a master sailor. I don't think he was. What about, what about this angelic visitation? And could this happen again today to one of us? Could we be touched by an angel as well, right? What about the snake bite? Oh, what about the snake bite? And if, and if you know anything about the church in the South, what about snake handling? What about snake handling? What about all the miraculous healings? Oh, the whole village comes out. The whole neighborhood comes out and is healed. What about... The fact that all 276 passengers survived. 
Each and every one of them, as Paul said, not even a hair on your head would be harmed. And that would be a wonderful promise for many of us men. And listen, every one of them survived. And let's be clear, there were prisoners on board. There were bad men on board. There were bad actors on the ship. And that's nothing to say of the sailors. Okay, the sailors. Listen, let me tell you, in preparation for this sermon... Right? I took it upon myself to do what every uh, contemporary, uh, good, respectable, faithful preacher does, maybe starting in COVID sometime in there when we were all suffering and, and, and now postponed. I listened this week. If you wonder what a pastor does in his office, this week I listened to a lot of sea shanties. <laughs> I listened to a lot of sea shanties. <laughs> and let me tell you what I learned about sailors. <laughs> this scene... The, oh. The scene on this ship was, was nothing like Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> Johnny Depp would have been eaten alive. should stay in his rock band. Why, why, why would God save them? Men like them. There is so much that we could say and consider. But let me argue a point. I don't believe, I, I don't believe that this is why this is here. For all those kind of things, this isn't why this is here. Our author Luke, who you noticed, when, if you noticed when we read, is on the ship. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is on the ship. He's the one, he's, he's one of the passengers. The entire story is told through the first person plural perspective just just look again at verse 1 chapter 27 verse 1 just catch it just first verse if you miss this and when it was decided that we should sail for Italy Luke is on the ship and Luke Luke wants us to experience this voyage through his eyes Luke's telling his story not necessary that you and I, we, we, we would have a detailed account of everything that happened. That's, it's interesting, but it, not that we'd be able to pick it all on a map and drop, draw it out for ourselves. As if you and I needed to know why a ship has four anchors or how long a fathom is. No, listen, Luke puts you and I on that ship, standing on the deck at the end of the book of Acts. In order that, so that, listen, in order that we might once again as Christians for 2,000 years have, as they concluded their study of the book of Acts, and so do we, that we might sail with Paul on his last trip. Spent most of his Christian life in prison. This is it. Everything has been building to this. And Luke includes all the details not to fill in all the missing blanks to our theological convictions or historical facts and figures. But rather that we would sail with Paul, that we would be there with him, experiencing what he experienced and experiencing in what 
he and Luke and they experienced, we too might apprehend what it is that gave him the Apostle Paul hope. What it was that gave the Apostle Paul courage. As Paul the Apostle wrote to the church to which he was sailing in Romans, he said, not only so, this is what he writes to the Romans before he gets on this boat, but we also glory in our sufferings. That's what's going on here. Glory in our sufferings because we know that sufferings, suffering produces what? Perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope is what Luke is after in you and I. What is it that grounded Paul in the middle of the tempest, in, the, in his darkest hour? If you look with me again, chapter 27, if you go down to verse 20 and following, allow me to guide our attention this morning to just a few verses, just a few verses representing the precise moment in which the 276 passengers the 276 souls on board hit bottom. They reached their deepest distress. Right there, chapter 27, verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Could you not feel that? Can you not in some way relate, big or small, tossed to and fro at the mercy of the waves? I think I feel that hour by hour. Not on a ship, but in my car, in my vehicle, working in my backyard, trying to operate a tool, trying to read a book, trying to fix my phone, trying to get my computer to work, Wi-Fi, mysterious. They were tossed to and fro and had no idea where they were going. Sailors use, this part I learned, not from a, a, a sea shanty. I don't know, I learned, I've known this a long time, don't be too impressed, but the sailors use the sun and the stars to navigate. And it says here, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, how would you feel? Lost. They were adrift. They were adrift. And it was at this moment that they were being tested. Listen, before I get to my point, that embedded in this end of chapter 27, it says, if he's, Luke, Luke is, and the Lord is trying to prepare us for Acts 29 and 30, and wherever we're at now, Acts 20, 24, preparing us for our shipwrecks and our suffering. Here, here in Acts 27 <laughs> lies a, a theology of suffering unmatched 
by any platitudes or hallmark cards. Listen, John, John Piper writes, he writes in Sweet and Bitter Providence, God is at work in the worst of times. That's what we're about to read here. God's at work in the worst of times. He's doing his work, a thousand thi- uh, doing a thousand things no one could see but him. These sailors, no idea where they're headed. He writes, John Piper writes, all the perplexing turns in our lives are going somewhere good. All the perplexing turns in our lives are going somewhere good. They do not lead us off a cliff, John Piper. In all the setbacks of our lives as believers, God is plotting for our joy. They have a map. They have a plan. They're trying to see the sun. They're trying to read off the stars. They're trying to navigate. They're trying to get to Rome. And they're adrift. And for 200 and whatever, 70 of them, all they know is they're lost. It's so surprising. Why, why are they surprised? <laughs> why are we surprised when this happened? <laughs> As we talked about just a few weeks ago, everything in our life is working towards, God is working all these things in our lives towards one goal. God's sovereignty is being exercised with purpose and they've met a, they've met a storm and they are adrift at the, in sea and their own perspective on their future is adrift the only person it seems in this story that expected things like this to happen and this is true of my life it's true on this boat i'm assuming it's true of you too nobody else expected it maybe but one person and in this story is wonderful it's paul and this is paul and you could experience the restraint verse 21 paul says no one else expected this But Paul said, I told you so. (laughs) I told you so. Verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, you can feel it. (laughs) Men, you should have listened to me. (laughs) In this moment, even even Paul is suffering at the hands of the 270-odd other people who should have listened to him. And if you're a mother or father and you got a couple kids and you're driving in the car or you're just married or you just have a friend and they get in the car with you and they're driving, then you can say over and over again, you should have listened to me. (laughs) They're in a ship. They should have listened to them. Why why would they be surprised? I, I, I don't know. Why is this happening to me? How often have you said, why is this happening to me? Listen, if you want to weather this moment and get to what Paul says next, we have to have this set in our soul before we hit the reef. Before we suffer. And Paul was ready. Paul was ready. Look. Look verse 22. Paul was ready. What he says next, it's like, it's like the needle in the haystack. Chapter 27, 28. The clue, the evidence, right? The, uh, it's like a relic in this narrative. A massive reality that Paul, Paul's going to confess. A massive reality that makes all the difference in our lives when our lives are literally sinking before us. Before our very eyes. Look, verse 22. Yet I urge you. I told you so. Got that out of the way. Right? Oh, what a relief. That feels good. Now it's at verse 22. Yet now I urge you to take heart, take courage, right? Remember, take courage, take heart. 
Be of good cheer, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. How does he know this? Verse 23. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong. It's like a needle in a haystack. There stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. In the deepest, darkest hour, in the depths of their distress and desperation, including Paul. I think Paul was probably confident he was going to make it because he had to go to Rome. But for the rest of them, including the author Luke, I don't think he was so sure until this moment. But in that moment at which everyone loses hope, Paul stands among what must be seasick, have you ever been seasick before? Tortured souls who are lost at sea, adrift. He attempts, you can imagine, just attempts, put yourself on the deck to steady, steady himself as the boat is tossed to and fro, rocking. Sorry if you're feeling motion sickness already. And in the middle of his announcement, foretelling the future and predicting a safe harbor, it's going to be okay. He makes a most telling statement. He reveals a most compelling perspective. Not that my God will keep me and you but rather that I belong to God. Friends, here's here's the key. You want to steady yourself for Acts chapter 20, 24? (laughs) You want to steady yourself against all the trials and tribulations and the losses and the setbacks and the waiting and the disappointment, the disappointment, the disagreements and the disagreeableness of your life, all the hardships you're going to encounter, have this theological perspective anchored deep in your soul. At the bottom of your soul. Here it is. I belong to God. I belong to God, and if I belong to God, I am not my own. I am not my own, and if I'm not my own, I cannot be lost. There's a truth, a conviction, a a perspective that can prepare you to weather the worst of the worst that this broken evil out of your control world can throw at you i belong to god i belong to god i am not my own i cannot be lost let me elaborate briefly on just these two points these two statements first i am not my own I'm not my own. Actually, you heard it this morning, the Heidelberg Catechism, 1500s, first question, a catechism, a a document, a a catechism, a a teaching device to train us to know what the scriptures teach us. 
from the 1500s. The first question, and it's in a Q&A fashion. You've heard this before, but just to rehearse it because here it is. Here's Paul working it out. Here it is in his kind of, what is your first question of the Heidelberg Catechism? What is your only comfort in life and death? What is your only comfort on the decks of this ship? What is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own. That's my only comfort in life and death. I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what the Heidelberg Confession is. is how, I'm not good at math. This is 500 some years old. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. This will get you through a trial. And has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also, that's what this means, watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, the Heidelberg Confession says, oh, this will help you weather, weather a tempest. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation they have lost all hope of being saved and paul says what's my only comfort in life and death but that i belong body and soul to god and therefore everything must work together for my salvation the Heidelberg confession continues he says because i belong to him this is what we have to say because i belong to him christ by his holy spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready and that's where you steady yourself on the deck and you say wholeheartedly and willing willingly and ready from now on to live for him the god to whom i belong and worship Paul says this all over the New Testament in all of his letters that he's written before this time. First Corinthians, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? And that's not a dieting verse, okay? That's not a health and wealth and fitness verse. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. There's Paul on the deck glorifying. Paul writes to the Romans. He writes, For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. I can't be lost. He writes to Titus. He writes to Titus, who, Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all unlawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession you belong to someone someone owns you his name is jesus he writes to the ephesians he's writing all over the mediterranean sea right to the ephesians says in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He put his seal on you. I own you. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance till we 
acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He owns us. You're not your own. You belong to him. Maybe more poignant gospel of Mark. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He, he purchased you. In Acts 20, he's leaving the Ephesians, saying goodbye. And he warns them, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flocks in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's talking to the pastors there. To care for the church of God, which he obtained. I belong to God. I cannot be lost. He's obtained me with, Paul says, his own blood. You're not your own, which means your life is not about you. Fulfillment and happiness and achievements, you're not your own. You were purchased by his blood. You were adopted. You were ransomed. You're a possession of the Son. You're a possession of the Son of God. What is your only comfort in life and death? It's not that you know how to sail. It's not that you told them so. It's not, it's not what good things you've done in your life. It's not what your track record is. It isn't what you've avoided. It isn't the weather. It isn't your ability to even steady your soul in the middle of the tempest on that deck. It's just that he he owns you. And if he owns you, you cannot be lost. Listen, what does First Peter, this is, this is where you got to stop and just say, this isn't necessarily true for everyone. He is purchasing, ransoming, rescuing, and drawing to himself a people for his own. For, Peter writes, 1 Peter 2, he says, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. A people for his own possession out from among all the peoples. What a wonderful truth but let me just be clear. Just be clear. If you don't belong to God, the math goes, you can be lost. In fact, you're already adrift. The sun and the stars haven't shown for many days. Try as you will. Try as you must. There's no guarantee that a hair on your head won't be harmed. This comes by faith. Christ laying down his life but is apprehended and grasped with full confidence in his work on your behalf. This promise here, Paul's confidence here, his hope is that he belongs to God and cannot be lost. That can be your hope as well. Stop measuring how close you are to the shore. 
trusting in the sun and the stars to navigate your way. Instead, put your only hope and confidence and comfort in life and death that he might purchase you by faith. Listen, you belong to God. You're not your own. And very briefly, you cannot be lost. You cannot be lost. Listen, we are invincible. <laughs> you, if you're in Christ, you are, as the saying goes, immortal until the work is done. Paul is immortal until his work is done. His life is not his own. His life is hidden in with Christ. It's no longer he that lives, but Christ who lives in him. And as long as Christ is in him and has a mission for him and a purpose in his life, he cannot be lost. He cannot be sunk. You can make a wreck of your life. Listen, your life might be one long series of <laughs> sinking ships which is one of my top three fears, along with heights and spiders, sinking ships. Freaks me out. My, your life might be one long string of shipwrecks. But let's be clear. The God to whom you belong is not reckless. He's not reckless, and your life, your life is speeding towards his one goal. You cannot be lost. Jesus says this. We're actually going to just, you know, whatever, a little news alert here. In January, we're going to begin a study and a sermon series through the Gospel of John. And just a preview, you find it in John chapter 6. Paul says, this is the will of him who sent me, the Father, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. You will persevere and be preserved by his providence, sovereign over every wind and wave, the placement of every rock in the Mediterranean Sea. Whatever broken thing is in your life, broken person in your life, the broken part of your life, sovereign over everything that you might worship him serve him serve his purposes that he might finish what he began in you listen the question the question isn't do you know Jesus this morning as much as much as it delights us to hear and, and all of us to say, I know the Lord. In Acts 27 and moving to Acts 28 and moving on into the church age, the age of the Spirit, the question isn't, do you know Jesus? But there in the end, with Paul on that ship, we can ask the question, does Jesus know me? The fundamentals of Christianity are quite the opposite of what you might have expected. A little upside down, a little more God-centered rather than man-centered perspective. What's most important in that moment when you hit rock bottom isn't who you know, but who knows you.
Would you pray with me? And then we're going to gather around the Lord's table. Oh, Father, thank you for your providence. And in your wisdom, this was the straightest path for Paul to reach Rome. Thank you that as we read this preserved for us by brothers and sisters who risk their lives, that we might read this text and be reminded of all that you have done and all that you have accomplished and how you sustained even a man like Paul, who by his own confession was the chief of sinners and deserved to go down in the ship like everybody else, but yet, because he could confess that he belongs to you, he could weather the storm and be of good cheer. Father, I pray that would be true of all of us in the room this morning. We would stand on the rock preparing us for the following chapters knowing of our lives, knowing that we cannot be lost because we belong to you. Oh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.